Hey, thank you, Chris. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ralph. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, God, what a privilege it is to be here. I, I woke up really sick today, which all that does for me is it builds in the disclaimer um, that the cold medicine may be talking today. <laughs> my name is Matthew Mitchell, and I have alcoholism. And um, my sobriety date is May 16, 1993. And I ordered this shirt, this pink shirt. I had it custom made. And when it arrived, my wife told me it was the wrong kind of pink. So I'm wearing it with confidence to see if you guys think it's all right today. That's giving my, I'm already being vulnerable. See that? And I love somebody saying, you sure killed the meditation. That's great, Chris. I don't know how to feel about that. But I'll try to revive it sometime during this talk. <laughs> Man, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I really, really love Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can honestly tell you, you know, in May of 1993, I was a wreck. And that first year was very challenging. And, and I'll probably talk a little about that and, and the 30 years in between. But I love it more all the time. And, and I realize things all the time. And I've talked about this a little bit in the last year or so. But Jerry, and listening to you all respond to Jerry, I caught the last 15 minutes of his talk. And, and listening to you respond, it's, you know, what there's no way to avoid that this is a spiritual program and, and it's built into the, the architecture, you know, and, and one of the ways I've become more aware of that in my life is that we don't have any hierarchy. We don't care what you do for a living. We don't care what degree you have, what kind of car you drive. Our currency is our experience. And what I really got uh, got lit up with watching Jerry talk and listen to you respond is some of the most self-centered people on earth just got together and listened to Jerry and were moved by him about him because of him. And I just think that that's such a beautiful evolution for us. You know, I didn't give a damn about you and your story wasn't going to make me cry. It would only make me cry if you wouldn't lend me money or let me stay at your house. <laughs> and now here I am, you know, being moved by someone and loving people because that I just met. And, and the other thing that's evident of the spirituality of AA is if I, I have a son, right? My son's car got hit. It was the first time ever he wasn't responsible for the car being totaled. Somebody else did it for him. And he asked me for $5,000 to help him buy a car. And of course I gave it to him. But when I gave him $5,000, I had $5,000 less. Now in AA, if I give you my experience, somehow I walk away with more. And that's spiritual. That's just not material. And I love that about Alcoholics Anonymous. I love what I've gotten here. I love Ralph White. I love Ron, the White brothers, very supportive and kind. I got to hear them do a retreat that just blew my mind a few years ago for my home group. But anyway, I've been asked to speak about 10 and 11, and I'm very, very happy to do that. These steps have also grown in, fundamentally in my life over the years. Uh, and, I, and I'm gonna spend a little bit of time on on 10 and then there's two parts to 11 so you know when covid came uh, a lot of people reached out uh, those who didn't isolate a lot of people reached out and wanted to have a new experience with the steps and some of these people i'd taken through the book a bunch of times and or been on book studies with them for years or just sponsored them for decades and we ended up i, I spent a lot of time in the 12 and 12 and, and that kind of affected my evolution in the 10th step because I, I told June this, June G, and she laughed at me. I, years ago, I, I went and I typed very carefully all the questions on the 10th step in the big book. And I typed them and I picked the font very carefully and I left space to write in my nightly inventory. And I, and I went down to Kinko's and I bound a bunch of them and I got a really nice cover for it. And Every day I had a blank sheet and I put it next to my bed and uh, I, I'd never opened that book one time. <laughs> one time, I put a lot of effort into making it. And then I remember it was about seven months later when I spilled coffee on it. I'm like, what is this thing? I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's my righteous 10th step. I'm going to do it right. And uh, so, but over time, and, and also just to be quite honest, 
you know, my wife has some special needs because of a disability, and we've been dealing with this for a long time. And it wasn't until COVID happened and I had to be alone with myself in my office every day. I couldn't go to work or travel like I normally do. And and she was was with you know, me every day. I used to kind of secretly think, you know, God, my wife's so lucky to have me. I'm such a good husband. I put up with so much. And then I lived with just me in a room for two years and thought, I think I'm the lucky one. I think she puts up with way more than I put up with. And that self-aware, I just couldn't get away from the awareness, right? I mean, it was in my face. And uh, so I, when I was reading the 10th step in the 12 and 12, Bill, it's real simple. He said, write your debits, write your credits, right? And then it talks about in the 10th and 11th step and the 12th and 12th, you know, separately self-evaluation, 10, prayer and meditation are, are useful. Together, they're a foundation for living. So I'm reading that a bunch of times. I just started writing on a piece of paper next to my bed, debts. And my I actually, I write the credits first. And sometimes I just look at my phone and go, well, I talked to six alcoholics today. I worked a third step this afternoon. I, I did, did a good job for my work today. I work at home and no one's watching me and I put in a good day's work. And, and then the debits, I would write whatever I felt that I fell short on. You know, maybe I was impatient with my wife or maybe I didn't give my work a full day's work. And then I just wrote at the bottom a prayer about how to be better next tomorrow. And I meditate every day and I'll talk about that in a minute. And after I meditated, I would read the prayer I wrote the night before. And that's easy. I didn't have to spend 50 bucks at Kinko's. I, I just had to read this little book that's been gathering dust on my shelf for years. And it, and it was it's a really good formula. And, and the prayer might, like if, if my debit that day is I didn't really give my work that supports my life and my children and my wife a full day's work, I might write a prayer that night like, God, please help me to bring all of my um, awareness, all of my education, all of my skills, and all of my concentration to the task at hand tomorrow that I can give my employer, employer their money's worth in me. Just simple. And then the next day, I do that. And, and one of the things I found, whenever whatever form of the 10th step I started to do, and is I'm, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. I, I have two or three things I do wrong the same every day. And that's one of the benefits, I think, from doing an actual written 10th step is you start to see, wow, man, am I going to actually do this again? Am I going to respond with sarcasm when she's looking for attention again? Am I going to lie about something I did that I haven't done yet to my uh, vice, vice president of the company? Am I going to do those things again and put them on my thing again tonight and pray about them again? And, and it really did start to change me. I really did start to feel like, you know, you can get better. You know, Pablo Casals is one of the greatest cello players that ever lived. When he was 85 years old, he was being interviewed before a classical concert. And they said, how often do you practice? And he said, four hours a day. And they said, no, no, like, how often do you practice now? And he goes, four hours a day. And they said, you're one of the greatest cello players on earth. Why do you still practice four hours a day? And he said, well, I'm beginning to see some improvement. <laughs> and that's how I feel about the 10th step, you know? By all accounts, like like Jerry said, I'm a completely different guy than I was when I got here. I'm not dangerous to myself and others, but I'm not anywhere near what I could be. And let's jump into that. I want to talk about 11 and 12 because what I really wanted to do, and I think the first time I did this was at Woodstock. I really went to my room that night after hearing all the amazing speakers and thought, help me tell the truth about my experience with with the uh, prayer and meditation, because I don't want to dress me up for you. This is as dressed up as I get. I mean, this is it. It's, it's, it's all two inches deep, man. <laughs> I want to tell the truth about me and AA. And um, because I, it's AA I love, it's not my version of it, you know, but I want to tell my experience. And I want to talk about my evolution with prayer. You know, just a little background it's going to sound very contrary i have a degree in 
uh, English literature and I have a degree in religious studies. And then I went on the road with a band for 11 years. So uh, I have three useful talent, the useless talents in the business world. <laughs> but I, I have this degree in religious studies didn't really have any effect on me when I got to AA. And, and I didn't like the 11 step when I saw it. One of the things that I saw is, you know, prayed only for the knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry that out. And I said, you know, I said to my sponsor, you know, man, I don't want to know God's will for me. And, and part of that is what, what Jerry talked about. I was raised in the Catholic school and we like to say we were drug up by the witches of God, you know, the nuns that were so scary. And they, uh, they would tell me, you know, they said, you know, if you think about sex, you're going to hell. And while I was going through puberty and so I had that feeling all along that I wasn't good enough for God. And by the time I got to AA, um, I really wasn't. I had been living in such a way that there was no room for any grace. And I had done things that had, were contrary to my principles and my character and my beliefs and the way I was raised so frequently that I felt a little bit irredeemable. So when I read that, prayed only for knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry that out. I, I just didn't want to know, you know, and, and my sponsor is a good man. He, he doesn't just, you know, fire back with an answer. He's, he treats me with respect and, and I, he didn't answer right away. And, and when he later on, I, I brought it up again, I go, really, I love these steps, tools for living, yada, 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 but this 11th step. And he said, you know, man, I think you're making it way too complicated. He said, I think, you know, you're overthinking it like you tend to do, Matthew. He said, you know, if if Phoebe, your baby, who was born the day you got sober, is is toddling by and she smells bad, God wants you to change the baby. You know, if a bill comes in the mail and it says, pay this amount, God's probably saying, pay that amount. You know? And he said, I think if you just do the next indicated thing, you'll know you're doing God's will. And that changed change for me but I'll, I'll tell you i've heard people in AA call it say just do the next right action but that requires me to make a judgment call you know and i'm not good at that I, I had a guy come up to me once and say you know what do you mean do the next indicated thing what what is your what's the alternative and i said well dude my next grandiose plan you know which never has anything to do with the next indicated thing and always gets me in trouble. But when I was brand new, we all say this prayer, the serenity prayer. And I I went to school, I, I read a lot, and I like to just cut to the chase. And I would hear the serenity prayer, which says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I would hear, God, help me to put up with all this crap I don't like. That's how I translate it. Like, I want the short version in my head. I get this prayer. Being new is hard. A lot of bad things are happening. All those warrants are still on the computer, it turns out, when I get pulled over for no tags. I'm still going to jail all the time. In fact, that prayer, which I didn't give much, much credence to, when I got my 90-day chip in Redondo Beach in the, in the uh, Hollywood Riviera meeting, I was so happy I got my 90-day chip. I had this car that some some mystery person was putting sugar in the gas tank, and it smoked a lot, and it terrible car. And I'm driving this car home from my 90-day chip, and it's coughing and bouncing. I'm trying home. That's glorified. I, I want to tell the truth. I was going to my parents' house. I was 31 years old. I was going to the back room at my parents' house in my crappy car that had sugar in its gas tank from one of my friends that I didn't know which one, you know, and, uh, and I get pulled over because there's all this smoke and apparently I was speeding. I don't know. You know, I was trying to get home with my 90 day chip and the cop pulls me over and, and I just look in the back in the rear view mirror and I just start saying that prayer, God grant me the serenity to help, you know, to accept the things I can't change. And, and he comes walking up on me and I'm trying to find insurance. I go, I don't have insurance. I'm trying to find the registration. I have it. It expires. <laughs> and then he goes, do you have your license? And I did have my license. I always had my license and I pulled my license out and it had expired like three years ago, <laughs> but I hadn't really needed to show it to anybody. So I just, I handed this guy this pathetic wadded up, you know, 
whatever, my representing myself to the state. And he looked at it all and he said, hold on just a second. And I said, officer, I'm 90 days sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. I just got my 90 day chip. And he kind of looked like, okay, <laughs> I'll be right back. And he went to his car and, and he, and I don't know what he ran, my license, my plates. And he came back and he said, can you step out of the car, please? And I said, officer, I'm really trying my best, man. I got 90 days in Alcoholics Anonymous and my life has been a mess and I've turned it around. He goes, well, welcome to your past, Mr. Mitchell. Put your hands behind your back. And he arrested me. I couldn't believe it. I, I was showing him my 90-day chip, proof positive that I'm a good citizen. And he put me in jail. He, he takes me in, and I'm sitting in the back of the car in the police car, I just, I was on a high. I got a 90 day chip from my friends. And now I'm in the back of a police car, just like always. And I'm, and I'm saying this prayer that seems like I'm bringing a noodle to a knife fight, man, I need help. And I'm saying this prayer and you know, I've been to so many AA meetings and I hear people say things that aren't really true, that we tend to exaggerate. And people say, you know, my worst day sober is better than my best day drinking and i'm like you know what's better drunk than sober jail it's way better when you're drunk you don't care about anything you're just you're just i'm one of you let's party you know like as the alcohol wears off and we all become get the efforts right at the same time about 4 a.m you know i'm sober i got a 90-day chip they took away from me when i got there <laughs> And they put me in jail and this was in the early 90s and AIDS was a big deal. And um, I was I was laying in the bottom bunk saying this prayer all night. And a guy was punching the wall above my bunk and his blood was splattering all over my face. And I didn't know how to say anything to him about that because I was not I'm not the fight in kind. You know, I'm uh, I weigh, you know, 150 pounds soaking wet and I, I didn't want to. Um, have any problems but I said this prayer because I had nothing else and it didn't help me and then when I got out of that jail cell they they hooked me up I was there on a Friday my parents were out of the country and and my I don't I don't remember calling anybody honestly now Monday morning they're going to take me into the court and I was in this holding cell with these two guys two skinheads with orange jumpsuits on I have my civilian AA newcomer get your 90-day chip clothes on and I'm attached to these guys and one of them we're sitting in this holding cell for like 45 minutes and one of them unzips his jumpsuit reaches into his underwear pulls out crack in a little pen and the other guy pulled out a lighter and they're smoking crack in front of me and I'm going god Grant me the serenity, please, to accept all this BS you threw my way today. I'm losing my mind. And then, you know, when when there's a challenge, there's always humility. And they open up the door to the courtroom, and I walk in. Now, my brother 12-stepped me. He's 12 years sober. I'm 90 days sober. He's standing there with the mother of my daughter. He bursts out laughing and she bursts into tears as I'm walked into the tomb with these two skinhead guys looking terrified. And uh, anyway, he um, he paid my bail and said, don't worry about the bail. You don't have to pay me back to just paint my house. And I spent the first summer of my sobriety painting his house. And when I got all done, he was sitting on the front lawn of the lawn chair laughing at me and I said, why are you laughing? He goes, your bail was $200 and I painted this whole house. So that's, you know, how you guys keep us sober, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why he did that to me, but uh, but I want to be honest. You know, my feeling about prayer evolved through the time. I will say to you now, it's such a perfect prayer, really. It doesn't say grant me the patience to put up with all this BS. It says, Grant me spiritual centeredness, spiritual peace, serenity to accept the things I can't change. I would even say to welcome life as it is, the courage to change the things I can, my response to this life as it is, and the wisdom to know the difference. And what I've learned over the years is if you really try to get serenity through meditation, which I'm about to talk about, and working with others and, and turning into the spiritual path over and over. You know, there's a, a great quote I love that 
I always feel like he's reading my mail. It's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, our faith comes in moments. Our vice is habitual. And I have to continually turn back to the spiritual program, right? And if you do that, if I pursue serenity, then eventually I'm going to have to get some courage because one of the things I found out through meditation was what neutral feels like because I've been in overdrive my whole life. And when you're in overdrive your whole life, you don't know you're in overdrive because you've been doing it for years. And then when you find out what neutral feels like, you're like, oh, oh, there are other gears available to me, right? But then when you get a little serenity, you start to see that the things blocking you from the life you'd like, meaning the interior peace, is you or me. So I have to have the courage to start changing the ways I respond to the world. So if I'm really working towards serenity, paying my dues to have what I say I want, and I'm confronted with my life as it is, my selfishness, my, my lusts and my fears and my worries and my my uh, arrogance, honestly, is one that I, I don't like about me very much, then I'm going to build the courage to try to change little by little, inch by inch to be better. Then wisdom is the natural byproduct. And that brings me right back to the beginning of this talk. That's why our experience is our currency. Because my life and what I've gone through and the way these steps have applied to it is not your life but it might represent your life a few years ago, or it might represent your life a few years from now. I was in a meeting once, and when I was a year sober, and there was everybody was in a circle, and this guy said, I have 16 days sober, and I'm coming out of my skin. I, I can't believe it. I, I, I feel crazy. I feel lonely. I can't get a job. And then he paused, and he hit the next guy next to him to, to, to share. And the guy said, I have 17 days. Keep coming back. It gets better. And it was so perfect because the most valuable currency in the room for that guy was the guy next to him, right? I, I didn't, when I was new and a guy with 30 years shared, I was like, wah, 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 wah. Who wants to hear that, Bozo? He hasn't had fun for 30 years, <laughs> we're nuts we're crazy so um but prayer changed i had an evolution i had a moment where i was confronted with what the power of it actually was and i was mistaken about prayer what it was you know or at least for me a lot of people look at it differently than me but you know i mentioned that my wife is, is disabled and i met the woman in my dreams as a result of being sober as a result actually of trying to remember a guy's name at a meeting so he wouldn't feel like like a uncomfortable because he was from out of town he gave me a job and the job led to me bumping into this woman at a bus stop and we got married and we were happy you know lovely woman like really really beautiful and in fact for years i used to think she was going to wake, wake up screaming and run out i was thinking what have i done you know like one of those moments of clarity we all fear our wives might have someday so they but what happened was we were having this good life i'm working hard in aa we have a little baby to give phoebe a little brother we have another baby and now they got two girls and a boy and we're sharing phoebe with anna the girl that I got pregnant before I got sober and where things are rocking, you know, and, uh, and I got this new job because we had been working at airlines together, Pip and I, and I got a job in, in the pharmaceutical industry. I was really worried about it. Cause I had to go off for training in 10 days. And, and I walked in the door and my wife was having a massive stroke and she was 38 years old. And, um, she just fell backwards and started babbling. And my wife is British and she has a very beautiful, beautiful accent. And, and just being near her uh, calms me down. And something had gone really sideways. And, and I, got in the, the, uh, I got in the ambulance and I left my children. I left my one-year-old and I left my four-year-old and I just climbed in the ambulance and people in the neighborhood took my kids and because Pip can't go away. Pip's Pip's the middle of everything. And and I just didn't know what to do. And and I called my sponsor and I called my sister and I called her family that was in U the UK. And a lot of miracles happened. She was in a hospital for five weeks, but I had to go to training in 10 days. And I went to Bill 
see my sponsor and I said, you know, I don't think I can go to training. And he goes, why not? And I said, well, Pips and I see you. And he goes, oh, are you a doctor? And I'm like, what do you mean, man? And he goes, well, what are you going to do for her? And I'm like, why are you being such a jerk? And he said, look, I don't know what you see, but I see a family that just lost half its income. You got three little kids and a disabled wife. She's not going back to work. He said, why don't you go to training and let us visit your wife? We can do the part you were going to do. And man, I did not want to do that. I thought he was nuts. I thought he was callous and, and unkind. And I went up to ICU and I was standing next to Pip and I was distracted because of this weird advice. And Pip said, what's going on? I said, I told her what happened. And she said, oh, well, he loves us. And he's never really said anything self-serving to you. He cares for us. What are you going to do? Sit by my side? I'm going to be here a while. And I can't believe it. But I flew to Chicago. And I would love to tell you this tale of woe that I was so lonely in training and I tried to pay attention, but I couldn't pay attention. I was learning about the cardiovascular system. But that would be a lie because what happened is I would run up away from the classes and I'd check the messages on my phone and it'd be five of you guys. Hey, we visited your wife today. Hey, we put up your Christmas tree today. I hope that's okay. Hey, we mowed your lawn. You know, you looks like you live in the jungle. Well, dude, you got, what's wrong with your lawnmower? Like these people just taking care of me. And I, how could I drink? The love of my life might die. Her brain is expanding and her skull is young. So it will not make room for that. While I'm in Chicago trying to learn science, I have a degree in English and a degree in religious studies. And I work my ass off. I got straight A's because you guys said, go, you showed me, show up, do it. You were showing up for my wife. My wife had 75 men visit her while I was in Chicago. One of the guys said, are you a famous madam? <laughs> Why do all these men come to see you? And it's because I go to men's stag meetings because newcomer girls weren't safe around me when I was new and my sponsor sent me to men's stag meetings. And I just did that for 30 years. But I did do, this is about prayer and I want to talk about that. I snuck home for one weekend. I was supposed to be in training for four weeks. Pip was in, in for five weeks. We didn't know how long. We didn't know she was coming out. And I, I went there. It was right near the, the uh, airport. So I ran over to the airport. I didn't have any luggage. They, somebody, a friend of mine from the airlines left a ticket. And I flew into John Wayne Airport down there near uh, UC Irvine where she was. And I got there about 10 o'clock at night. And I'm really getting excited in the cab because everybody said, your wife's doing so much better. You know, she looks great. Don't worry, we're bringing her food from outside. And everybody loved her. My wife is very funny and very, uh, just makes people feel comfortable. And uh, I walk into the room and, and it's late. It's like 1030 and I see her and, and she's bad. It's not good. She can't move. And her face is all distorted and, She's been laying there for weeks and she was really happy to see me. And I was really afraid to show in my face how afraid I was. I didn't know what to do. So we, I just crawled into bed next to her and I just laid down and looked at the ceiling and we talked. I couldn't look at her because she was very, very badly injured and I was afraid. And I was afraid of the job. I was afraid I was in over my head. And now I'm looking at my partner and we got these little kids and the nurse came in and I said, I'm not leaving. I got a hotel room, but I'm not going over there. And she said, okay, we've been wondering where you were. It's fine. And she left me some towels and some shampoo and stuff. And, and I woke up at three o'clock in the morning or four, no, it was later than that, like four or 4.30. And I, I, I was exhausted, so I fell asleep, but I woke straight up, like I sat up out of the bed and I was so afraid, like, like afraid like I've never been before and, or since, honestly. And I just didn't know if I could handle this life that I had. 
the children and the job and, and whatever care she was going to need. And she was the alpha partner. She paid all the bills. She schemed and planned. She helped me have the courage to go after better jobs. And, and she was not going to ever be the same. And this was real clear in that room that night. So I, I crawled around her, tried not to wake her up. And I saw the shampoo and towel. So I just decided to take a shower. It was the next indicated thing. And I, I walked down the hall and I, I didn't enjoy uh, the walk through ICU at four in the morning. It was very scary. And I got into the shower and it's this great big, you know, like the shower from one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's an orthopedic shower. It's not welcoming. Everything was foreign and weird. And I took off all my clothes. And I remembered my grand sponsor, Jay, had once said, pray with the intention that you know all of your prayers are being answered. So I fell to my knees in this shower with the water coming down. And I said, God, I can't do this. I'm not the man for this job. Um, I need power. And I know, you know, don't pray for you and pray only for the knowledge of God's will. I was, screw that. I need help. And I said, I, I, I need power and I don't have the power. I don't know if I have the power for this weekend, but I don't have the power for this job. And I really prayed with the intensity and the intention that my prayers were being answered. And I stood up and nothing had changed. I was filled with fear. I didn't feel any better at all. And I finished the shower and I put my clothes on very slowly because I'm postponing going back to that room. And I didn't feel better. And I was afraid I was going to have a nervous breakdown, honestly. I was I, felt, I could taste metal in the back of my tongue. I was so terrified. And I, I got into the room and I didn't really look at her right away. So I sat in this leather chair and put my arms on the thing. And the chair was facing out towards the hall. And there, I, out in the hall are these nuns murmur, or not nuns, the nurses, you know, murmuring. And it's not pleasant out there. So I close my eyes. And I'm sitting in this chair with my eyes closed at five in the morning, fresh out of the shower. And I realize I can scent, I can feel Pip. I can feel my wife, Pip. That I can feel her in the room. And I, I remember thinking just academically, you know, I wonder if she were in a house and I was blind. I wonder if I could find her. And I thought, I bet I could find her. I bet I could. Because I, I could just feel her presence, you know. So then I stood up and I, I wasn't ready to look at her. And, and I put my arms on the side of her. They have these railings, these high railings, so she wouldn't fall out of bed because she's paralyzed on one side of her body completely. And she still is. And I looked out the window over her. Um, and it was very dark. It was like these black splotches and this very dark blue and then I noticed that something was moving out there and and it I it kind of caught my attention I'm leaning over her and I'm looking and I realized that his little birds are like flitting around in these trees and I just feel this I just felt like God you know the world is is beautiful but of itself it is beautiful and I happened to accidentally looked down at my wife's face and she's Welsh and she has this pale skin and she looks like Audrey Hepburn. She's a knockout. And I looked down at her and she's glowing and she's asleep. Her eyes are closed and she's in perfect peace. And I thought, Jesus, I love this woman so much. And there was no fear. And since that day, I have prayed about many things. I've raised children to adulthood. I've been through some very difficult times with people passing away and challenges in my work. And prayer has never changed my circumstances. But prayer has almost, almost always altered my perception of my circumstances. So I was able to do what was in front of me. And I feel like God went, dude, look, the world's beautiful and you're in love. You're like way ahead of the game. God said, whack, get in the present moment. We're not sending the kids to college. They're one and four and seven. All you got to do is sit with your wife today. That's your freaking job. In fact, when I called my sponsor in the middle of the night when Pip had her stroke, 
he made me call my grand sponsor. I said, why am I calling you? And he said, because my wife has had five strokes. I want you to talk to my wife. He woke up his wife. I barely knew Adele then. And she talked to me about what my wife was feeling. Then Jay took the, the phone back and he said, son, you've always wanted to be the world's greatest lover. Now's your chance. I didn't need to solve all our problems. I'm not the cook at the banquet. I've been invited to the banquet. I'm supposed to be a good member of the dinner party. And I, I thought it was the Donner party before I got here, but it's the dinner party. And I, I came here and I've known what to do. And I can tell you that fear has never, ever, ever come back. I've had fears. One time I was driving down the freeway and I couldn't get a hold of Bill. And I, I called Jay. He goes, what's wrong? And I go, I'm freaking out. And he goes, why? And I go, turns, I don't think they know who they hired, man. I'm not a science guy. I think Pip realizes I'm not really the guy she married. And my kids are, I'm screwing my kids up. And Jay bursts out laughing. He's just laughing hysterically. And I go, what's so funny? And he goes, I don't know. Let's pretend for just a minute that you're not in charge. And then I started laughing because I forgot. And he said, what are you doing right now? I go, I'm driving on the 710 freeway. He said, your job is to drive on the 710 freeway better than anybody else is driving on the 710 freeway today. You got to be the best driver on the 710 freeway. That's all you're supposed to do. The indicated thing, the thing in front of me, the present moment where God lives, right? So that's my relationship with prayer. And I'll talk about the prayer of St. Francis at the end of this. But I want to say this about meditation, you know. I've tried to practice it and studied it. I, in school, I went off to a Buddhist monastery in Mount Shasta when I was in college. But I smoked a lot of pot back then, and they wouldn't let me stay with them. And I, so I went home and was a half-assed Buddhist in my dorm room for a while, which I don't know. I didn't kill ants. I don't know what that meant, actually, at the time. But I, I wrestled around with, with meditation, you know. But I, I go to a meditation meeting at Thursday nights in, in Manhattan Beach. And one day I got gotten a lot of promotions at the company I work at now. And, and I, I was not doing well. I was sponsoring people. I was speaking at conferences. I had people living in my trailer. I was doing the 12 steps with everyone. I was going to my home group. I was a really good husband. I was providing for my family. And I just felt empty inside. I felt like if you followed me around, you go, that guy's got a great AA program. And if you looked inside me, you go, holy crap. And Jay's wife came up to me and she said, what's going on? And I said, I'm okay. And she goes, no, you're not. And I said, I'm not okay. I'm not doing okay. She goes, how much are you meditating right now? And I go, well, not much at all. And he goes, okay. She said, and she looked around, she goes, double that. <laughs> Which I've always loved. She didn't shame me. She said, do twice as much as none at all. And then she walked away. And I swear to God, they must have planned this, but he says they didn't. And I'm drinking my coffee, eating this cookie, watching his wife walk away. And Jay walks up, he goes, how are you doing? I go, I was just telling Adele, I'm not doing very well. And Jay says what he says a lot. He said, how can I help you? And I said, well, Adele says I need to double my meditation. And he goes, okay. What time do you wake up? And honestly, since Will Pip got disabled, I wake up at five. I need some time before the circus starts. And I go, I wake up at five. And he goes, oh, I'll call you at six. Because <laughs> he didn't wake up at five. He didn't wake up at six before this, it turns out. And he said, I'll call you at six, wherever you are, whatever hotel room you're in, if you're at your house. And we'll meditate for five minutes. I said, I would love that, Jay. And he did. He called me. He said, hi, it's Jay. I said, hi, Jay. He goes, I'm going to set the timer now. Then I'd hear the bell at five minutes. He'd say, I love you, Matthew. I'd say, I love you, Jay. And we'd hang up. And we just did this seven days a week for a few months. Then like six months into it, this guy heard about it and said, can I join you? So we got this little conference call. And then we did it every day and, and it, five minutes was stupid so we did 10 and after a while the other guy goes can we do longer than 10 this feels kind of like a waste of time and so we did it for 25 minutes and and we've been doing that for 19 years 
every day. I take Sundays off from the group because now I'm the guy who runs the, and there's 47 people on that conference call. And I never, I never miss a day without meditating. And I, I want to talk about meditating. You know, I think people misunderstand meditation and I think they misunderstand the gifts of meditation. And I'd like to tell my experience. And I want to point out both with prayer and meditation, I did not apply myself to them. They manifested in my life. I did not go, oh, I should meditate more. I'd said that a thousand times. Jay said, how can I help? And I said, I said, yes. And now Jay's not even on the call anymore. We, I, we just do it, you know? And so I, it isn't, again, I did, I'm not a good boy scout. I'm not, I just get swept up in the, in the fruits of the spiritual temperature of the room I'm in, of the people I surround myself with. I have been lifted up by giants just because I hang around with them. And I started meditating. And what, a lot of times people say, you meditate? This lady said this to me at a cocktail party up in Washington. And I go, yeah. And she goes, so you sit and there's nothing in your mind. And I, I started laughing. I go, wow, that would be awesome. How do you do that? <laughs> I've never heard of that. And that's what people think that's what meditation is. And I'm going to tell you my experience. And I read it a long time ago in a Buddhist magazine when I was smoking a lot of pot in college. This Buddhist teacher said, Westerners think meditation is when they achieve the stillness for the fleeting seconds or they are on the mantra for the fleeting minute or they're on their breath for however long and they've achieved it that is not meditation meditation is being distracted and quietly and calmly coming back to the center being distracted by this brain this this confusion machine this egoic scanner of the of the horizon for conflicts right i'm that's going to happen and then i'm going to come back to the center and that's exercising that muscle is what meditation is i get carried away i mean i was in new zealand meditating like three months ago and the girl who wouldn't go to the dance with me in eighth grade came into my head in living color ricardo rojo and i had i was like about to go, I'm going back to that resentment. She humiliated me. I married a much better person than you, Carla Rojo. Or he was like 14. Like, I'm sure she's a fine human, not as good as my wife, but I'm sure she's a good person. But I, that's the kind of like, we can't stop the things that come into our heads. But the best, I, I read this spiritual teacher in the Sargadatta and they asked him about meditation. He goes, you make such a big deal out of it. When you walk through a crowd, do you walk towards the people and bump into everybody? Or do you walk towards the space? Meditation is just moving towards the space instead of the obstacle. And I'll tell you what, man, you do that every day for 19 years, things change. And what changed for me was I cultivated a place in me that's safe. And that's home. In the 12 and 12, on page 105 and step 11, Bill writes, perhaps one of the greatest rewards of meditation and prayer is the sense of belonging that comes to us. We no longer live in a completely hostile world. You know, I love alcoholics. They always talk about how we're loners. I did okay by myself. I'm not a joiner, you know, and we, we sort of self-impose this isolation. I know I was lonely when I was new. I was lonely because I thought I was alone, you know, and the prayer, when I prayed God, our father who art in heaven, when I was a kid, I would say to the nuns, is God in the sky? And she goes, he's farther away than the sky. So I'm picturing in my brain that can't handle it. He's 93 million miles up there so far from me. And I'm whispering into the ether, right? I said, that's my, what's that? I, can you, can you meditate if you don't believe in God? Yeah. Will it smash your isolation? Yeah. The first thing meditation does is it calms down your heartbeat and your breath. You know, I'm finding out that I got a neutral on my gear stick. And I do that every day. I practice going into neutral, right? Well, that's the breath right there. I'm breathing, right? I'm noticing things I didn't used to notice before. If you start to really just be present, you realize I'm not separate from the universe because I breathe in what it breathes out. 
you know, I'm looking at a whole bunch of trees out there. They're doing this thing that they get involved with the sun and water and my carbon dioxide, and they take that in photosynthesis and they expel oxygen. So I'm not, I'm part of the universe. It's, it's whether I like it or not, I'm not a loner. I can't be, it's impossible, right? So I'm breathing in this air and it's breathing in my air. I'm not only connected, I'm, I'm an integral part, right? And that sun is 93 million miles away. And it's landing on my skin. I walked out this morning with my wife. We went down for a little sushi. And we went outside and it was cool outside until we got out of the porch. And then that sun hit my skin and it warmed me up from 93 million miles away. And it's, I know, because I work in science, that it's working right now in my skin, creating vitamin D so that I can be not so exhausted all the time. Vitamin D is tremendous for you if you feel tired. Take vitamin D. Or walk outside. That's my point. Once you start doing this, you start seeing, I'm connected. Right? And, the, and what it says in the book is, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. Sounds pretty ambiguous, right? But I can tell you, I love this line from a spiritual teacher, Paula Darcy. And Paula Darcy says, God shows up disguised as our everyday life. And because I cultivate some stillness every day for 20 minutes, like it's a priority, and because I cultivate returning to silence, I'm more connected to my everyday life. My son went through some terrible, terrible anxiety and depression when he was 19 years old. I visited him in a mental hospital. And when I got in the car, my old Catholic schoolboy self wants to turn on the, you blew it. You're a bad dad. You shouldn't have gone to all those things away from home. But I've been practicing visiting my own stillness, my own presence. And I didn't do that. I drove two and a half hours to that mental hospital and I got an hour with him and I didn't come in hot. I didn't come in with advice. I didn't come in with fear in my face. I sat next to him and I put my hand on his knee and said, how you doing, buddy? In the first two days, he cried on my shoulder and I didn't say anything. And then the next couple of days after that, he started getting animated and telling me why he was in there and what he wanted out of it. And then three days after that, he said, dad, get me out of here. And I busted him out. I threatened those bastards with lawyers because they wanted some more of my insurance money and they didn't, weren't doing anything for that boy. And I was there with him. I did not, not show up for my life. And it says in this book, you know, the other day I was, I couldn't believe it. Jay was at the Monday Night Men's Day. He goes, this is a group that works the steps and we meditate. It's a step. We don't do it also. It's one of the steps. It's not extra credit, as we used to say. And all I can say is what Howard P. used to say. Don't deprive yourself of the gift of meditation. You know, I've got all these guys I've sponsored for a long time, and they go, God, it seems like you're just trying to get me to meditate. I go, I just want you to taste the fruits of your labor, man. It's sweet. You should come to this banquet. You've been sitting at the dessert table stuffing your face and asking me why you're sick all the time. I've been, I'm watching you do it. If you do this, you'll start going, oh, there's all this savory stuff. There's some bitter stuff. Come to the banquet, man. It's kind of like when you first get sober, one of the first gifts of sobriety is you can taste food. Remember? because you're not smoking 18 cigarettes at the same time and drinking gin. It's like, oh, food actually has flavor again, right? Well, that's what this step did for me. I can taste this. My wife's trying to sleep in the other room. When I get done doing this, I know exactly what she's going to say. Man, you're loud. That's what she says every time I get done doing a Zoom call. <laughs> that's, it. that's just her line after we get done with this. And I'm going to laugh my ass off because I love that woman. For 21 years, she's been paralyzed on one side of her body. But if you met her, she'd disarm you with her, her charm. She's a little prickly, which people find interesting. She's fun. You know, 
what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me is my happiness does not depend on my circumstances. I don't care who won the Super Bowl. My happiness depends on how present I am for God who's showing up as my everyday life. And I'm going to finish with this, you know, that prayer, make me a channel of your peace. It's in the 11th step. It's called the St. Francis prayer. By the way, I don't want to upset anyone, but St. Francis never heard that prayer, doesn't know anything about that prayer. First time that prayer. You muted, Matthew. What, where did you lose me? Back when I, my wife was in the hospital? Or No, St. Francis never heard that prayer. St. Francis never heard that prayer. He never met that prayer. It was on the back of a picture of him that was distributed in Europe during World War I from people who wanted that war to stop. And when I think about the world today and the world my children live in, and all the things that have come at us and, and the divisions. And I get really arrogant and self-righteous. And then I get really sad. And then I always come to the bottom. And the bottom is, what can you do? What can I be in this world? Because I'm not going to change my neighbor's mind. I'm not going to change the, the, the way the world lurches from one part to the next, however terrifying it may be. But I could probably change me. And when I think about that, I think about that beautiful prayer. Make me a channel of your peace. It doesn't say, make me a channel of the right point of view to beat you over the head with it. It says, what am I a channel of now? Resentment, fear, lust. My lust is loud. My intuition is quiet. My anger is loud. My intuition whispers. And meditation tunes me in to hear the whispers. And this prayer, make me a channel. I'm not the source. Make me a channel of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. At the office, when she tells me I'm loud, when my son calls and accuses me of inventing capitalism and ruining the world, I can just be a channel of peace. You know, every one of those things says, give me the burden and let your light shine through me. And if I live like that, if I really live like that, you know, my life is light. I asked a woman the other day who asked me to sponsor her. I said, what's your spiritual condition? And she listed off activities. Well, I go to five meetings and I'm sponsoring four people and I do this prayer in the morning. I go, no, what's your spiritual condition? She goes, what do you mean? I go, is your life light or is your life heavy? And she said, oh, I'm thinking about getting divorced. And I go, okay, well, that might have been, we should have led with that. Right? <laughs> Let's talk about your spiritual condition because you could probably walk through that and not sell yourself out, not go against your, your, your principles and throw away your character if your spiritual condition is good. And man, I'm the last guy on earth that would have had this conversation with you 30 years ago or 25 years ago. But I came here and I stayed and I've been lifted up by the people around me. I've been taught lessons that I cannot forget and they've made my life beautiful and I'm connected to it and I love it. Thanks for letting me share.